Hello and welcome to the Raptors Reaction Podcast on Sportsnet. I'm your host, William Liu, speaking to you after the Toronto Raptors. Begin the 2023-2024 preseason with a 112-99 win over the Sacramento Kings uh, in Vancouver. Honestly, pretty great game. Um, you know, obviously everyone's looking forward to this. You have all summer to think about what's next. And obviously it was a very long summer, right? You know, we're used to seeing playoffs here in Toronto and obviously they'd lose in the play-in and all this talk about, you know, what this team's going to look like and a lot of trade rumors sort of getting everyone to go through the mental, you know, exercise of what's this team going to look like and, you know, what is this player worth and is that player worth this and all these debates. And I mean, obviously we had a lot of those on this show because, that's uh, that's the purpose of the show is to sort of talk about whatever the fans are talking about as well. Um, and yeah, you know, there's a long sort of wilderness that comes with that. Obviously, new head coach, you know, new point guard, new system. What's it all going to look like? And, you know, I'm not going to make the mistake that preseason is, is everything. Obviously, we can say that because we're all pretty seasoned um, basketball watchers. But at the same time, you know, you look forward to sort of what the first look kind of is going to be. And um you, I got to say, they're, they were really impressive to watch. Um, I think, you know, in terms of just effectiveness, in terms of thinking about the points of emphasis that we've heard about, whether that was uh, when Darko first got hired, uh, whether that was what we saw in limited spurts in Summer League, uh, and of course, what we have heard a lot uh, in media day and then training camp over the last week. So much discussion about ball movement, so much discussion on new system so much about sort of playing more of the bench, the depth. And um, yeah, at least on the first look, it looked really good. Like it, it looked really good. And not to say that like it was perfect, right? You know, obviously there's lots of mistakes, a lot of back cuts, uh, lots of fouls in this game. Um, you know, especially I thought uh, in the first half, the Raptors fouled the Kings quite a bit. You know, like Dennis Schroeder had like three fouls in the first quarter, just trying to guard, pick and roll. Uh, with Fox and Sabonis, which clearly is a very difficult pick and roll, especially if you look at what happened last year. But overall, like the Raptors battled through and they overcame that bit of that slow start and the ball was popping, you know, any concerns about three-point shooting? Like, yeah, for sure, there's a little bit, but at the same time, you know, they played to their advantages really well, got the ball into the post, got advantages going downhill, and both the starting unit and also the second unit looked pretty good. So, um, you know, I, I think this is exactly kind of what you want to see of course you know you could be cynical or not even cynical but you can just put it into context that it's preseason but things look good things look good and this is a really nice debut for Darko Ryakovich and uh his uh his coaching staff but let's obviously start with the team so first off the big note was that uh no surprise here but Dennis Schroeder was uh the starting point guard I know there's a lot of discussion about um Scotty Barnes being the point guard I thought he had the ball plenty um so you know whoever you want to call the point guard is whatever but in terms of the guy who's the smallest player on the floor, who brings the ball up, who's the most assured ball handler, that was Dennis Schroeder. He's been playing with the starting unit uh, throughout training camp, and uh, he, you know, he started at point guard in the inter-squad game on Friday, and he starts at point guard here tonight. So it's been a continuation of sort of um, what we have seen over the last week. And in fact, I even remember being at Dennis's uh, introductory press conference uh, in Vegas, and, and he kind of not let it slip, but he kind of talked about sort of being the starting point guard. Of course, he kind of walked it back a little bit, um, and they sort of tried to play a core, I think, even a couple of days ago. Darko was asked in a press conference, like, you know, are you going to tell us who your starting five is? And he said, no, I'm not going to tell you. But clearly, I think um, all the reports have been that 
that Dennis has been running. I mean, he's he's been running the show with the first unit. So see him with the first unit. Uh, we've been hearing a lot about how Jakob's going to get a lot more of the ball in the post. First three possessions of the game, Jakob Proto gets the ball uh, in, in, in the high post around the elbow area. The Raptors, you know, a lot of off-ball movement, a lot of off-ball uh, cutting. And not that it was sort of always leading to open threes, um, but it did create a lot of downhill advantages to to sort of solve some of the spacing issues, right? I mean, unless the Kings were going to switch everything, and the Kings are very much not a defense that kind of switches everything. You know, they don't want to get Sabonis onto guards. They don't really want to, you know, um, switch some of the bigger fours against Fox, for example. I don't feel like it puts up that much of a resistance defensively, certainly not here tonight in the first preseason game setting. But the ball movement was, was good. And, um, you know, I, I think that, when you watch the balance of the game, I mean, obviously you can look at individual possessions where guys sort of took it in a one-on-one setting, but when you watch the balance of the game, there was very little of anybody taking four or five dribbles outside of bringing the ball up past half court. There was a lot of off-ball movement, a lot of cutting, and I mean, what can I say? It just it was very much not what we have seen half-court basketball-wise from the Raptors under Nick Nurse, um, and. Again, I, I, I can't throw enough of the caveats on that it's preseason. Um, so I'm just not going to repeat that uh, over over and again in the rest of the podcast because there's no need because we all understand the context. But you can clearly tell the identity of the team looks totally different. And it's a kind of exactly what Darko and to a lesser extent what Masai has wanted, right, in terms of just w- more ball movement. Um, and, yeah, I mean, I thought – um, you know, it's very big shift in the offense. Clearly, um, Dennis does not play anything like Fred, um, especially uh, within uh, this context. You know, he's bringing the ball up and, you know, he gets the team into their set and then he moves off the ball. And when you look at the balance of the game, I know that Dennis was uh, in that early foul trouble, but only took three shots in 17 minutes. There were all threes. You know, I would say there was like a two minute stretch there in the second quarter where he started being more aggressive and looking for his shot. And it was pretty impressive to see him out quick a guy like, um, um, oh my God, what am I, what am I, what am I looking at here? Uh, hold on. Davion Mitchell. There we go. Yeah, sorry. There's a, there's like 21 players who showed up in the game tonight, uh, for the Kings. So I had to scroll down a little bit, but yeah, Davion Mitchell, obviously is a very, very quick guard, you know, known for his defense, drafted for his defense. Actually had a couple moments where he looked good from three tonight. Um, but regardless, He's a really, really quick defensive guard. And Dennis Schroeder just, like, crossed him up and, and got past him and got a step on him like it was nothing. And, um, you know, there were, like, a couple of moments where Dennis were really taking it strong to the basket. But otherwise, rebounding, playing defense, getting the hands into the passing lanes for a couple of deflections, uh, and then just setting up the offense and getting out the way. And obviously, Fred was very, very involved in the creation of the offense last season for the Raptors, the last couple of seasons for the Raptors. Um, you know, there was... Uh, a lot of the offense that just kind of ran through the point guard and obviously a lot of shots, you know, either ended with the point guard having the ball and shooting the ball in an advantage or the ball would swing back to Fred. Uh, But in this case, you know, it was a lot of guys cutting and moving off the ball. Like when you look at the overall shot distribution for the whole starting five, for example, Pascal had six shots and four assists. OG had seven shots and three assists. Scotty had nine shots and four assists. Jakob uh, had four shots and two assists. Um, and Dennis had three shots and five assists. So you can definitely tell, even just based on looking at that and not looking exactly at the tracking numbers, that there was a really balanced approach in sort of how the offense operated. And obviously, those are 
small numbers because nobody really played more than 20 minutes in the starting five. I mean, we're, we're talking about the first game of preseason, right? The Kings didn't even play their starters in the second half. And the Raptors, uh, after playing a really, really strong second quarter and third quarter with their starters, took their starters out up like 25 points uh, with five minutes into the third quarter. Um, and so those numbers obviously look a lot bigger once the guys play a lot more. But, you know, pretty notable change. And I thought that... Um, on the whole, in terms of what this season really comes down to, it's sort of the improved aggressiveness and the improved effectiveness of Scotty Barnes, and I thought he was very aggressive. Um, there were no like very very notable times. I thought at the end of the second quarter, for example, he really really came on strong. Um, he didn't really play. He sat for like an extended period. Again, this is all just preseason rotations. You probably shouldn't look too much into that. Uh, but he he didn't play. I think for like the first ten minutes of the second quarter, and then came in. I think to substitute for Pascal Siakam. Um, with like two or three minutes left in the uh, first half. And immediately he got out on the break and made two uh, really, really nice passes to Chris Boucher, cutting in transition for layups. Uh, then he had another play where he was setting the ball into the post to to get it to Thad Young. The Kings jumped the pass, um, and, and it was a turnover. But Scotty hustled all the way back to create the stop, got the rebound, uh, in, in that transition opportunity and then raced it right back up the floor and then hit Thad Young for another transition layup. So three wide open, easy baskets that he created for his teammates. And then the fourth trip down, Scotty had the ball. Um, I don't think actually he brought it up. Maybe the point guard brought it up, but they hit it to Scotty right away. Scotty drove along the baseline and, and kind of crossed the lane with the ball, kind of like what Steve Nash kind of used to do with that gnashing the pick and roll, whatever. But obviously, he's not Steve Nash in, in the sense that he has a lot more size. And so Scotty went, dribbled from, I think, the right side of the lane across to the left side of the lane and then just quickly stopped as on the edge of the paint and just uh, pivoted and spun back for a, you know, a strong N1 finish at the basket. That strong push, I thought, was very, very notable. It was very aggressive. And I thought the overall balance of the game, Scotty showed a lot of moments where he was attacking the hoop. You know, he got the Raptors started going to the basket, got, you know, foul called on um, the defense, you know, drove it to the, the cup a couple of times. You know, he didn't shy away from the three, and he didn't really make any threes either. But at the same time, you know, obviously the aggressiveness of his game is when he's going downhill, when he's playing in transition. You saw lots of moments of that. Um, you know, I, I think that, you know, if anything, some of the turnovers were an indication of sort of um, him trying almost a little bit too hard to make the play. Like there's one time where he got the ball, I think, off the rebound, and OG was open up ahead, and Scotty tried to throw like a full-court bounce pass. And I would say the pass was on. Or maybe just the bounce pass wasn't necessarily the right option because the defense was able to actually very easily pick it off. Maybe I think maybe a higher pass would have been a, a lot better of an option. But regardless, I, I still uh, like the you know, intention there, which was to, to hook up OG, who was open. It just wasn't the right read, but the intention was good. And and Scotty, I thought, was engaged. Like, there were a lot of times where, you know, last season, when you would watch Scotty come into the game, especially, I thought, early in the season when the Raptors were, you know, trying him out in a similar fashion in terms of, you know, more ball handling reps, you know, here, here you go. Obviously, Pascal got injured early in the season. Fred started slowly. Okay, Scotty, you know, step up and, and 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 create more of the offense. Even in some of those moments, he didn't really feel his aggression or sort of he would still um, ease into games or sort of really fade in and out of games. There was no fading in these 18 minutes. They're all very memorable moments. Like he was aggressive, he was attacking, he was strong, um, and he was confident. And I, and I liked sort of the ownership that he sort of took over the situation. It felt very much like he felt empowered to be in every single position 
you know, in every single possession. And, you know, similar to what we saw in the last couple of years as well. But I think, again, to, to Darko's point, you saw Scotty as a ball handler. You saw him as a cutter. You saw him as a defender. You saw him as playing pick and roll, both as the handler and also as the screener. You saw him in the post a couple of times. Uh, and, of course, he's he's electric on the break. And he, he also had a really, really nice uh, two-handed driving dunk where he got pretty low. Uh, driving downhill and whatever it's we're talking about JaVale McGee in 2023 but still a two-handed dunk over a seven-footer is always impressive to me I don't care what context uh so great you know look from Scotty again that's exactly what we need to see um you know plus 20 in those 18 minutes as well again I think he instantly sparked like a 10-0 run when he checked into the game to end the second quarter and he was great in the third quarter as well um you know, I thought OG, it was interesting watching OG because um, first six minutes uh, as the Raptors were running this sort of offense where you know, Jakob would get the ball in the post and then Dennis would, you know, Dennis would bring the ball up, get the ball into the post of Jakob. Jakob would have it at the elbow. Dennis would then go screen for probably Scotty or Pascal curling off of uh, Dennis's screen and then maybe play dribble handoff or maybe cut through and, and get the high low pass from, from Jakob. There's a lot of that. And what I was noticing over the first six minutes was just like OG just wasn't involved. Like OG literally had one touch uh, in the first six minutes of the game to start. And what he did was he drove a closeout, attacked it and made a nice pass. But I think somebody fumbled it. But it was a good advantage in terms of just like, you know, pressing his advantage and getting it in. But I'm like, what? Well, come on. Six minutes in like OG's just going to stand in the corner the whole time while these other guys sort of run their offense. I mean, that's going to happen in terms of just OG, obviously, for, especially for this starting unit, OG is the spacer. And so if you keep him in the corner and while these other guys are running these actions, you know, at least you kind of keep one help defender honest by having your best shooter in the corner, at least for this group. However, there's so much of OG's game that you're not using when you don't sort of evolve him in, in, in more of a focused way. And I thought, especially as this, the rest of the first half went, um, the second quarter in particular, OG got a lot more aggressive. Um, I thought he got... Uh, much more involved in the offense. Uh, and, you know, he, he just, he he looked good. In fact, I actually, what I really liked was, so, um, yeah, six minutes in, OG, on his second touch, um, again, after basically not touching the ball for the, the first six minutes, forced up a contested mid-range shot and missed it. And the Raptors called timeout after the Kings made their play, right? Right after that timeout, OG Anobi is in a, is in a great position. Um, you know, he's much more involved. He's cutting to the basket, and he actually made two really great passes to Chris Boucher, who I thought had a really nice game with his off-ball movement, cutting to the basket, which has always been a strength of his. Um, then we saw OG, you know, start to sort of ease into the game. A strong take in semi-transition off the dribble, uh, finished at the basket. It was sort of a quick hit, one hit, you know, hit a head pass to OG, made a quick move in transition, used his strength to you know, hold his position and then hold off the defender and finish the basket. He got a quick three off a uh, DHO with uh, Pascal Siakam where Pascal had the ball, again, attacking in that sort of dribble handoff action um, towards OG. And as soon as OG got the ball, Pascal sort of, you know, used his momentum on the dribble handoff to get a little bit of separation on that screen for OG after the handoff. And OG, I thought, showed no hesitation and just quickly released it. I think the location of that shot was also important to me because we see a lot of OG threes in the corners, and he's obviously very good in those corners. But um, one of Darko's things for this training camp was challenging OG to take more shots from above the break. And that was right there at that break. And it was a quick three. Um from OG and, and usually OG's not that aggressive with his jumper. I feel like he's always looking to attack downhill first or even maybe even get to the mid range. But I like seeing that quick three and that dribble handoff on Pascal. Such a simple play, such a simple action. 
Um, but especially if you want to get more volume up for threes up for OG, which I think is going to be an important thing. Again, the, something else that Dark Horse pointed out, you got to take some of those type of looks. And he made that shot. He made a really nice sidestep buzzer beating three, uh, sort of um, late shot clock, kind of a broken play. Ball swung out to OG, close out to OG. OG sort of sidestepped Gary Trent Jr. Saw actually, um, again, from above the break and knocked it down. That was a really nice finish. Pascal with a steal on the open court. Uh, three on one fast break. Pascal could have taken it in for a layup by himself, but instead he serves up a lob to OG, who finishes the dunk. Then OG had a steal um, on a. Uh, honestly, it was just kind of like a weird pass. I think it was to Chris Duarte. He just kind of fumbled it. OG got the ball, ran out for a steal and dunk. I mean, it's you know classic OG play. Uh, and then another one where right after that OG got a steal. This is the third quarter now. Got the steal. Um, you know, it, you know, and quickly hit it ahead to Pascal, who made a quick. Move to Scotty in transition, who uh, you know cut inside for like a you know short five foot floater. Obviously, he's got great touch on those. So you know, again, everyone's always wondering how's OG Pascal Scotty going to work. It's one of the ways, you know what I mean? Like that was really nice. And then uh, uh, OG, I think the last play of the game that he was involved in was a really nice sort of give and go sequence with Jakob cutting to the basket. So I thought OG, you know, obviously had a really efficient game. Most of the Raptors did. Uh, he was six or seven from the field with two threes made. Uh, three assists, two steals, no turnovers, plus 14. You know, this is after playing the first six minutes of not touching the ball. He comes in and he makes every shot afterwards. Again, everything looked really within the offense. Everything looked really solid. Um, there was obviously a lot of talk on on the timeline about Pascal Siakam. There's been a lot of focus there too, of course. You know, how is he going to adjust to this? That's been one of the big conversations. Both Darko and Masai mentioned it at the press conference. Um, you know, so we're obviously watching that. There's also the contract situation. But honestly, I think for me, the biggest thing in terms of just like, you know, um, my interest in this, it, beyond sort of the the, the contextual, you know, um, discussions about contracts and, um, you know, is he going to fit? And, you know, are, are, is he smiling? There's a, there's a lot. Is, is he being involved? Is he being, being mentioned? Like, beyond all that, I kind of really was curious in terms of how Pascal's game is going to mesh with this new idea, this new identity of the offense. And I thought, first off, um, like what Pascal said at, at, at uh, either at training camp out in Vancouver or he said he might have said in a media day. But, you know, he, he kept trying to deliver that line like I'm a hooper, like I've played different roles in my life. And I think it's important to remember that, like those things don't just go away. Um, you know, you are not necessarily taking the ball out of Pascal's hands. You are just giving him a situation where you use him differently. So there's less opportunities for him to attack one-on-one or there's lots next less opportunities where he has to break down the entire defense but there's more sequences so you can replace that uh in a way where you still use them and you still involve them but you use them in a way that you know um you know utilizes some of the other skills in his game so for example today uh again they ran this play a whole bunch where they would have dennis bring the ball up input, input the ball to Jakob in the post and then dennis would go set uh, a screen uh, sorry, a pin down for one of the forwards to curl up and receive the ball eventually from Jakob. And so essentially you're giving Pascal two screens um, towards getting, and with his momentum going downhill. And uh, the one time they executed the best, they, uh, there was exactly that, you know, Pascal lifted up as, as uh, Dennis went to go screen for him off ball. Then Pascal curled around, got the dribble handoff from uh, Jakob at the other elbow, and then he had enough of a step on his man, and the the help defense was a little bit late to react. And Pascal obviously is a great finisher; goes downhill, finishes and one, and completes the sequence. Like 
there is a way to make him even more efficient, um, even though you are taking some of his touches away. Now, they're hoping the balance of that is such that, um, you know, it, it look continues to, you know, make him look productive. And obviously, in, in sequences where plays break down, uh, you do need somebody to get you a basket. You know, obviously, Pascal along with Scotty and um, I guess even Dennis or lesser degree, like our, our late clock sort of bailout options and, and he's going to have to create. And that's where, again, that that isolation bag is, is going to be very, very important. But they got a lot of sequences like that where Pascal was able to really score easily. And it's not too dissimilar from the role he played, for example, in his second year. Right. He would have the ball. He'd bring it up. But they would play that team offense with that with that bench mob. And when you remember that bench mob, I would say Pascal was probably the secondary option. Weirdly enough, they love going to CJ Miles as first and foremost, but they would give it to Pascal in a variety of situations where he was cutting, especially him and Jakob have a nice two-man game. They've always had that together. And even though he didn't have the ball as much, he was quite effective off ball. Um, and he wasn't a spacer, especially in that season. I think there's one month where he literally shot like 0 for 14 for a whole month from three. So definitely wasn't a spacer that season. But between the transition, between the way they played together as a team, his efficiency was good with that bench unit. And then the following season when the Raptors won the championship, Pascal was a lot of corner threes. It was, a, you know, one-on-one, especially at that time, the scouting report wasn't really out on Pascal as a one-on-one player. So he would just cook guys all the time going one-on-one. Um, and eventually kind of defenses started figuring out like, okay, yeah, actually there's something real here and we need to try to change up how we cover it. But, you know, quick decisions, quick transition moves, um, good ball movement. Obviously there was a lot of great passing and shooting in that team. Obviously we're talking about the championship team. We're a long ways away from that. But my point is his role in those contexts, like he was very, very good in those kind of positions. And so it, it felt very much like a return to a lot of those things. Now, of course, we're talking about a star player as well. But I think here's the thing, like, and, and this is maybe the challenge overall for this whole situation is what does it mean? What What's the most important thing? You know what I mean? Like, what is the most important thing? Is it about making what's best for the team or is it about sort of doing what works best individually for the player? And I think that so much of the discussion and so much of the offseason focus, especially from the front office and right down to the head coaching higher and also just the theme throughout is just unselfish and selfish and selfishness. And so you have to sort of make that extra play and give it up. And I think obviously people had natural concerns about sort of um, how Pascal would fit into that, right? Masai brought it up unprompted. Then Darko talked about sort of, you know, it's a work in progress and all that kind of stuff. Um, not, not in the sense that like this is shade. It's just in the sense that, you know, you don't know how it's going to look. You don't know how he's going to buy in. And from the first game, he looked really bought in. He he worked really really hard and played really well within the team context. Had a really a number of really good defensive plays. Like he had a play where both him and Jakob both rotated over, and both of them could have had um, these like this a highlight block at the rim. Um, and then Pascal pushed them transition and got a, got a look. You know Pascal giving up. You know making the extra pass when he could take it in himself in transition. Like he was doing all that kind of stuff. And I think that that's always been sort of his character. Pascal's character to me doesn't suggest to me like he's this like domineering you know, egotistical player who like absolutely needs to have the ball and has to have numbers. Otherwise he's not happy in the offense. Like he's played a number of different roles. And yeah, again, like I thought he was very efficient today, did a little bit of everything, just like pretty much everybody else in the starting five. And even though he only had six shots, I, I, I really have no complaints about the way he played. Um, so, you know, a, a, a nice performance from P obviously I'm pretty confident in him overall as a player. Um, so like, I'm not too concerned. I think my only concern was just sort of what the transition was going to look like. And obviously they're going to have bigger moments where, you know, the offense is less 
um, fluid and the defense is a lot stronger and the mismatches aren't quite, you know, as obvious as there were in this game. Like, for example, the Raptors played Sacramento really well last year as well. Like, it's probably their best game of the season last year was when they went to Sacramento on a 10 p.m. game on, to start a seven-game road trip, and they absolutely spanked the Kings. So I'm not saying that, like, the Raptors can't beat the Kings or whatever. Like, they actually, I think, match up well with them. But still, um, you know, those are the moments where you see sort of, again, it tests your metal. But at least to start, it looked good. You know, Pascal Smilewatch, um, you know, was 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 definitely smiling in a good mood as Darko sort of took him off for the night along with the rest of the starters. And he went over to talk to him and, you know, they had a nice friendly chat. Like, you know, again, things look fine, um, you know, on that front as well. So that's good. And then, you know, I think watching Dennis and Jakob. So basically, they're the two role players for the starting group. Right. We're talking about OG in a more featured role, OG getting more aggressive with his offense, especially from three. Scotty, obviously, you know, taking that mantle, you know, being aggressive in, in the offense, generating um, opportunities, both in transition and half court. And then Pascal being Pascal, of course, who's going to sort of defer to the rest of that group. And I think just having that structure of, of Dennis bringing the ball up and giving the ball to Jakob in the post. That looked really solid to me. Like, it, it really did change the angle of how the Raptors played a lot of their offense, uh, you know, as compared to previous seasons. A lot of that before was, you know, you have the ball up on the perimeter, you you know, you slow it a little bit down. The Raptors' half-court offense has been pretty, pretty slow in the last couple of years. Um, you know, the way for the screen, you know, they, they get the drive and, you know, you know, it just it just was a lot more like one man is going to beat his man, force a rotation, and then the kickout will probably happen, and then you play from that advantage. This one was more like you know motion based offense. Like you saw a lot of again, like just the ability to play through a passer in the post. It changes a lot for you in terms of what you can run, and I think that a lot of that is imperative on a Jakob being willing to make the pass. And I thought I saw a lot of willingness for him to touch the ball, make the you know, just redistribute the ball. Like, you know, obviously, I, obviously I'm obviously, a huge soccer fan, so, like, this is something that um, I notice a lot in soccer, for example. It's a huge importance. It, Jakob is like a midfielder to me. You know, like, the, in the midfield for, for soccer, I mean, guys play different positions in the midfield, but on the, for the most part, the midfield is there to win extra possessions for you with their defense, and Jakob does a lot of that, obviously, and with his rebounding as well. But then on offense, the midfielder, generally speaking, isn't the one that's, like, shooting the ball all the time and scoring the ball all the time. Um, the midfield a lot of times is sort of swinging the ball from side to side and changing the angle of the attack by having good, you know, awareness on the ball in terms of how to read the play in front of you and how to then, um, you know, shift the offense from side to side to sort of initiate the right attack or the, the right advantages. And that's what it feels like watching Jakob in the middle of the floor. And Dennis, you know, you permit that as the point guard when you bring it up and then you're just sort of spacing it out. And just, of course there's going to be certain nights where you want Dennis to be more aggressive than three shots in 17 minutes, which were all sort of like catch and shoot threes. Um, but at the same time, you know, he didn't shy away from threes. It wasn't like he was turning down threes, which is big. Like, you know, you still need him to sort of knock down those catch and shoot threes, but they're not pull up threes off the dribble for the most part for Dennis. I think he took one, but he was, he was hot at that point. Uh, and then, yeah, he was playing a lot more in terms of that, just like, you know, that on switch. Like, yes, he can be aggressive and, and create. And I think one thing with Dennis watching, especially watching a lot of uh, Germany in, in the World Cup, because they were just obviously not only because they won, but they were just a very fun team to watch. One thing I noticed that was really interesting about Dennis was just he has a variety of passing angles that he can deliver the ball. And what I mean by that is... Um, 
you know, there, there's a certain craft to it. Like, it's a bit of an unpredictability. Like, for example, he had one pass to Jakob, and, and unfortunately, Jakob got blocked on the rim. But it was a great pass where Dennis came off the pick and roll, and uh, as he's, you know, a threat to get downhill because he's like water, but he's like just like a just really quick point guard. He like threw a bounce pass in between his legs uh, to Jakob perfectly for him to get to the basket. And again, Jakob should have finished stronger, but really, really nice connection from Dennis. Uh, a couple times where he's just able to sort of flick out these different passes from different uh, angles that, um, you know, it, it creates a little bit of like unpredictability in terms of just like what specific way you're going to want to defend that play, right? Again, if you're, the, if you're the help defender, for example, and you really know a guy is like, you know, uh, very good at bounce passes, you might want to keep your hands lower, right? Uh, but obviously that obviously opens up a lot of passes sort of more over the top, for example. Uh, with Dennis, he kind of has the ability to sort of switch it up, you know, and, and there is an unpredictability in terms of where the ball's going to come from. So again, like, it just makes it a little bit more intriguing in terms of just the, the unpredictability of the offense. Um, but overall, yeah, the starting unit looked really well. They, 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 they outplayed the Kings starting unit. Uh, they definitely smacked the Kings bench. Uh, and yeah, I mean... You know, that game, the Raptors were able to pull, uh, come through with like a 34 to 20 second quarter to, to, to lead by 14 uh, heading into halftime. And then the starting unit just completely smacks. I, I think the defense, too, was really important because, again, I know this is pretty long for a preseason podcast, but obviously this is the first look at what the whole season is going to look like. So, you know, bear with me. There's, there's a lot of important details. Um, I think defensively, too hearing what Darko said and also what uh, Jakob said um, in the most recent uh, training camp interviews, you know, it, it's not going to be as aggressive as what we saw from Nick Nurse's defense. Like I thought, and I said this, I made this point so many times on the show last year, even the season before, but the Raptors def- were playing defense to compensate for their offense. And what that meant in practical terms was they were, like over they were pressing the ball so much on every single possession forcing trying their very very best to force steals and deflections because they knew that they or they felt that they needed to score and transition and score and transition as often as possible in order to have an effective offense uh, because of the fact that they don't actually have an effective half court offense and look that, that that might be true this year as well like again we're talking about one preseason game against one opponent Things could be totally different, right? But on the whole, I just didn't like that philosophy. Like, it, it just was a wild way to live. Like, it, it's like if you had to steal to live, like, to, you know, find, uh, you know, a job, like, you know, like build a career, like, you know, show, like, uh, hopefully a couple things break for you and you live a little more sustainably and you, you know, you get a biweekly check rather than, you know, having to go out there and like literally scrounge and steal and hope that there's some missed opportunities for the other team because of your over aggression that allows you to <laughs> exist. Like it just sort of, it felt very much like the Raptors were playing on the margins last year and for the margins rather than look, listen, steals, and transition opportunities are always going to be great for the Raptors. And the Raptors looked great in transition today. They they, they came up with 13 steals. They had a lot of deflections, you know, like then they were very good in transition. Like, I think that is all something that, um, you know, they're going to be good at in general. Right. But at the same time, you know, they, you know, they didn't overplay. Like I actually thought their base defense, their half court defense, especially after the first quarter, which, you know, whatever, they came out sluggish, but, the balance of the first three quarters, for example, 
was really, really strong, was really, really strong. Like, you know, they were able to contest shots. They were able to, um, you know, keep their man in front. They weren't switching. There was a lot fewer mismatches where they had to sort of, you know, swarm the ball. They didn't have to bring a double team to every single driver. Again, that's these are things that the Raptors always had last year. They weren't just bleeding corner threes because of the fact that they were doubling the ball all the time. And I think it's just less cynical to play this way. Like, you are playing both offense and defense. And on, on the offensive end, the version of this was the Raptors played a lot less on passing. They were just like, look, we're going to have the ball in, in, our, in our safest ball handler's hands, and we're gonna, even though it's less movement, even though it's less assisting each other, even though guys are less involved, we are going to minimize our turnovers. So again, we maximize our defensive margins, we maximize our offensive margins, um, or we minimize our offensive margins, and we then try to, over the course of the game, you know, eke out wins uh, by hoping that, you know, we we sort of force the game enough to sort of work in our favor or sort of, you know, we're like gaming the game, you know what I mean? Rather than sort of like trying your actual best to play the game as best as possible. This offense, for example, for the Raptors, it's going to involve a lot more turnovers, right? Like there were, I don't remember a single game last season where Jakob Pertl had four turnovers, let alone in 19 minutes. But if you're going to put the ball in Jakob's hands, if you're going to play a lot in the post and you're going to play this more team-oriented offense, you got to live with more turnovers. Like, you know, the Golden State Warriors obviously are, are the the golden example of what team basketball has looked like in the last decade. And they always have tons of turnovers. And and some of that comes down to, okay, like Steph throwing the ball behind his back or Clay, you know, whatever, not really dribbling well, or guys just sort of, or Draymond forcing passes. You know, th- th- things happen. Moving screens, like there were a ton of that for the Raptors today. But you take that trade off because that, to me, suggests the Raptors actually wanted to play the game well. Like, they were not playing to minimize their mistakes and maximize their opponent's mistakes. They were trying to play the game as best as possible on both ends. And to me, that's very refreshing. Like, that was something that, in addition to the fact that the Raptors didn't get results or that they lost a lot of close games last season, that was frustrating to watch that style of game from Nick because you're essentially conceding that you were not good enough, therefore we got to play, we got to, like, trick the game. You know, there wasn't that tonight. And again, I'm hoping to see a more continuation of this style. Again, this is just one game, but these are pretty big changes from last season. And I think the whole bet from the front office outside of, okay, you know what? Are there some opportunities to sort of make some, you know, trades that clearly advantage us? Can we get Dame on the cheap? Can we get the third pick or, you know, what can we trade into this draft? Like, obviously there were like opportunities that they pursue because that's what you need from the front office. But also at the same time, their backup bet or maybe their main bet overall because they were going to change the whole roster, was can the same players produce differently under if we play differently? And I don't really see why that wouldn't be the case. It's not like players and their ability is divorced from the style of play that they're in, right? And, and you know, I think there's, a, there's definitely a debatable margin in terms of, like, okay, how much are players responsible for? Like, are you just giving them an out by saying that, like, it's the coach's fault, the system's fault? But, you know, I mean... Yeah, players look different when you put them in different contexts. Like the Sacramento Kings were, were were ass under previous coaches, and then they brought in Mike Brown, and they changed the way they play, and look at them. I mean, today was not the great example, but overall, last season, same roster for the most part, a couple of changes, new coach, new system. They look fantastic, and they had one of their most thrilling seasons in franchise history, basically dating back to when, like, you know, Chris Webber and Vladi Divac was in, was in their front court. Like, it, that's so long ago, right? So... I think that's sort of the idea. And again, you know, the micro in terms of the, you know, in terms of the minutes, all that kind of stuff. Like I get it. It's preseason, but 
the impression I'm getting is distinctly different than what I saw last season. And I think that's, you know, a good thing for everyone to hear. Um, I mean, in terms of the bench guys, uh, I'll just give some quicker impressions. Well, first off, Darko used 10 guys uh, in his, like, rotation. Uh, and I'm, I guess you can't hear that I'm putting air quotes on it. But obviously, you know, in a training, uh, in, in a preseason game, you can't, like, fully buy into the rotation. However... He said he would play 10 guys. He played 10 guys. 10 guys got into the game just in the first quarter alone. And, and those the same 10 in the first quarter and the second quarter. And to a large degree in the third quarter as well until the, 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 the third stringers came in with like two minutes left in the third quarter. And so obviously the starting five being Pascal, OG, Scotty, Jakob, Dennis. The bench was Stad Young at center. And I think that's a bit of a concession because of the fact that you have Precious who's injured and also Christian who unfortunately is having this respiratory thing that I'm really hoping that it goes away and that he can get back into the flow of things because I really like him as a player. So th- whatever, those guys are out. So Thad has to play center. Chris is in that group. Jaden McDaniels is in that group. Or Jalen McDaniels is in that group, my bad. Uh, and then you got Gary Trent and Malachi. And to me... um, you know, I, I I was actually really interested to see not necessarily what the bench would look like as a group because when we saw that in the third quarter when the starters all came out at once, I mean that that bench group doesn't work. You know, what I mean like that it just all bench lineups just don't work. Like we are not in the bench mob era, um, and and hopefully our system can get closer to the bench mob system. But regardless, it just it's not going to be like that. But I think the other thing is just. I wanted to see how, and I'm sure the coaching staff also wanted to see something similar in terms of which lineups where we miss, you know, mix and match uh, our groups is going to work and, and what does that look like? And I thought, first off, Gary had a really nice game off the bench. Um, <laughs> Gary's stat lines are always going to look similar. You know what I mean? Like uh, a lot of points, no, very few rebounds, no assists, uh, and a couple of steals. And 22 points was actually leading the score for the Raptors. Actually, on both teams as well. Wow. The Kings only had Sasha Vazenkov was 12 was their leading score. Okay. I guess that doesn't, doesn't really matter. But Gary had 22 points, um, three steals, only one rebound. But I have to say the context of how Gary played was, was nice to me. So first off, um, you know, I thought the first couple of moments when he came in as the first substitute off the bench, Dennis obviously picked up a couple early fouls. Um, Gary came in spaced the floor really well, right? Didn't touch the ball much, but immediately got involved with the corner three on a kickout. Again, guys like Scotty and Pascal, especially if they're working off of these dribble handoffs with Jakob in the middle of the floor, that's going to create these downhill advantages where they're going to put pressure at the basket. And depending on sort of how teams guard it, if they bring over the third defender, which is always from the corners, OG is going to get some threes. You know, Gary's going to get some threes. And we already know that Gary can, 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 you know, operate in that sort of context. But I also like seeing a couple times where Okay, you you're running a lot of these like dribble handoff actions, especially from the middle of the floor. You know you, why you can run that for Gary, right? It, it, I think some of the movement sort of um, sets they work even better when you're involving a, a shooter rather than just uh, mostly slashers. And we saw Gary in this context curl off ball, you know, catch the pass and then get all the way downhill for a little floater. Uh, which he banked it off the glass. Nice finish there. Um, we saw him create one-on-one when he had the opportunities. You know, obviously, he loves that little mid-range short jumpers. You kind of have to empower him to take those, especially if you're going to have him be the focal point of the bench units. That's not too dissimilar from Nick. I think the key there is minimizing that because he can't come down the floor and always look for that mid-range um, shot because even though he's good at it, it's just not overall that efficient of a shot. And you don't see any... Like, even Pascal wasn't hunting for the mid-range shot. And Pascal's objectively the best mid-range player on this team. 
Scotty is a very, you know, pretty good mid-range player as well. He didn't take any of those shots. So you can't give Gary all the license to take all those shots. But at the same time, when you're creating with the second unit, you know, you had to give him that green light to be free and sort of play sort of as he sees fit. And got to have the trust that he can follow the game plan in terms of, you know, showing some of the more efficient ways that he can score. Like one-on-one against the end of the shot clock against JaVale McGee, he draws a three-point foul. I mean, that's what he does. A, he's pretty good at drawing the three-point foul, mostly because he kicks the leg out. But he's also got a really good sidestep three, which has always been a move that has drawn a lot of fouls. I mean, I think that's what James Harden really brought into the league back in like 2018, for example, maybe even earlier than that. Gary's got a bit of that. He really does. Um, and, you know, especially against older bigs, like they're not going to really be able to, you know, hang with them and still close out and not be in his landing space and all that kind of stuff. So drawing the three-point foul, you know, getting to the open threes, getting into the mid-range, you know, getting some downhill momentum where he can sort of score – not worried about Gary scoring. Um, you know, I thought in terms of his, his defense, a lot less gambling. I mean, first off, the overall system is a lot less gambling by the Raptors. Like last year, the system was gamble as much as possible, pressure the ball as much as possible, double the ball as much as possible. Like Raptors just played this like frantic all out, you know, kind of always teetering on the edge kind of situation. And this year, or at least this game, you know, a lot more balanced. And, and, and even in that more balanced state, I thought Gary was still able to, be a little bit disruptive defensively, which was good. I mean, three steals is three steals. That's good. Um, I thought Chris did a great job of cutting, playing in transition. Those are always things that he's done well. Um, you know, one time he launched the ill-advised three, and it wasn't even ill-advised, honestly. I take that back. He, he, it was like a late shot clock situation, like maybe five seconds left in the clock. I guess, you know, Chris could put it on the floor, but I don't mind a big taking a late shot clock three just because it's easy for the big to get back in transition at least hold it down for you in that transition opportunity so i'd rather not commit him all the way to the basket i'd rather him taking a three so i'm even fine with that you know no bad shots for chris in seven in 21 minutes you know and a lot of his moves were just cuts to the basket and and guys were finding him whether it was og made an extra pass to find him scotty made two extra passes to find him you know all that stuff is really great i thought mcdaniels he was the 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 really nice impact um sub in the first half, like he came in and he, and he, I think just after, I think, uh, Gary subbed in, I think it was McDaniels and Boucher who came in afterwards and he did a great job. I mean, first off, my impression with the McDaniels, especially when I interviewed him, um, on the day he got announced, uh, that he was signed in the offseason, I interviewed him and Jakob, uh, was just like, he was really tall. Like he wasn't even that much shorter than Jakob and Jakob is like a legit seven footer. Like I'm, when I go and interview these players, like, um, you know, one of the nice things about it is like, I'm, I'm six, two. Uh, so when I'm interviewing these guys, like it's not too much of like a, I'm not like craning my neck to look up at them. These guys only when it's like seven footers, like Jakob where it's like, okay, legitimately a little difficult. I got to like hold my arm up Statue of Liberty style to, to, with the microphone. I had to do that same thing with, with McDaniels and you know, it, it felt noticeably different. For example, the interviewing OG or, or Pascal or, uh, Scotty, for example, like, He's really tall, and he has really great length. And when you watch him on the floor, like, I, I want him to play a little bit harder. Um, you know, there were a couple of moments where I thought he was just kind of a little bit more languid moving through it. But the length is real, man. It's like he was disruptive. And in terms of the offense, you know, just did a good job. Like, whether that was, you know, kind of in a Boucher-esque way, but, like, Boucher is so all out. Um, that's, you know, it leads him to making very loud errors. Um and with McDaniels, I think it was a little bit more reserved, but kind of the same effect, right? Where his limbs are so long, he's there for the offensive rebounds. 
he can knock down a couple of occasional threes for you. I mean, he's not, it's nothing wrong with the shot. It's not like, obviously he's not a guy who's going to move around and, you know, hit threes, you know, like, like he's, you know, Steph or anything like that. But, you know, catch and shoot threes, I don't, I don't really see the, a bad level with him. It looks like a good shot. You know, he can space the floor a little bit, guard well for you. Again, his length is really good. And he, he moves his feet well. I mean, there was one play I thought in the first half. And again, the Raptors started the, uh, defensively was pretty weak to start. Uh, but one of the standout plays was McDaniels made like three extra rotations on the same defensive sequence. Um, and that eventually forced the Kings into launching a long three that was an air ball. So I, I, I like seeing the effect of him off the bench. I think the Raptors have really struggled at that backup small forward position, even though they've been project, you know, or vision six, nine or whatever. Their, their backup small forwards have just, like, left you a little bit wanting. You know, whether that was, like, Utah was, like, so – you turned out so many shots or you got injured. Um, or, like, you know, Stanley Johnson was just, you know, not obviously a shooter at all. Uh, you know, Rondé, kind of the same kind of deal. Um, who do they bring – a couple of these years, they haven't even had a small forward. Last year's, you know, situation where they were playing, like, Precious as a small forward. I don't think that's his natural position. Um, you know, Otto obviously got injured. So McDaniel's coming in and just like continuing to give you that strong defensive se- uh, play that a guy like OG, for example, gives you, but also being able to sort of mimic a little bit of his um, offensive role as well in terms of just like being able to hit some threes, being able to be a factor on the glass, being fast in transition. Doesn't have the kind of um, ball handling or OG like play creation that he likes to bring to the game. Jalen obviously is a lot more like off the ball, but I, I, I liked his contributions tonight. He really had a good start to the game, and uh, Darko must have liked him too because he played him extended stretches with the starters. Thad, I mean, I just don't think Thad is a center. Like, here's the thing. I, I like Thad on offense as center, right? Him, you know, basically same kind of deal. If you want to run the ball through the post, Yak had the ball for the starters in the post uh, as a big, as a center. Thad had the ball in the same exact positions for the bench unit. Um, and we've seen that passing and organization be a standout trait for Thad ever since he got traded here a couple years ago in the Goran Dragic trade. I mean, he used to always dime up Precious, dime up, you know, um, who... Oh, yeah, uh, Chris. That's another guy they played a small forward, Thad Young. But now they're playing mostly at center. And that passing is nice. That's always been a good thing about his game. But defensively, it's just he can't move his feet well enough to really guard against center. You know, the teams put him in pick and rolls. And obviously, he's not jumping to block anything. He might be able to slide his feet and get in for a charge. But for the most part, he's going to need a lot of help defensively as a center. So that that's where I'm not a fan of it. But I also understand the idea that, like, A, I, I see what he's doing th- for you out of the post. You know, in terms of unselfish play, Thad Young's always got that. Um, and, you know, the leadership and all that kind of stuff, I, I, I do truly value it. Um, but, yeah, defensively, it's a struggle. So, uh, obviously, when Precious and Christian, hopefully they're available soon, um, I want to see more of those guys in those positions. But, hey, at the same time, you know, when Thad call, comes in, you know, he, he makes good plays. And he he made a, he had a good game tonight here, too. I, I like how strong he was on the rebounding front. Um, a couple of loose balls. He was always first to kind of get those and win those possessions for the Raptors, which was good. And Malachi, I mean, how can I say? So, Malachi played a good floor game. You know, like, uh, his turnovers were all, like, when he tried to attack and create a shot, and it, it always looked really, really strange. Like, why are you driving headlong into a seven-footer um, who's perfectly in position to stop you when you could just take a sh- jumper, which is clearly what the advantage was going to be for him. He did it a couple times. Like, he made Alex Len look like Hakeem a couple times, which um, that is not true, uh, just in general. But, 
His floor game was good. Like, kind of the same deal as Dennis, right? Rebound the ball, bring the ball up, and put the ball into the post, you know, make the right plays. Five assists, five rebounds. I, I can't hate that. It's just when he actually had to, like, hit the open three or, like, create a shot, it was just so off tonight. Like, he, I, did, I didn't even – here's the thing. It's not even like he missed the shots or whatever. Like, I don't really care as much that he went one for four. I think those were all decent shots. But, like – the decision making, the slash and drive and get yourself turnover, like it just that part to me was like, okay, like you gotta find, like you gotta know a little bit better, especially when you're the point guard. I really expect you to have like the best floor awareness on the on the in, in the game because you have the ball, right? So I'm, I'm want, I want you to have the best reads. I just didn't agree with the reads, but in terms of managing the game, I thought he actually did a decent job, and he had a pretty good defensive like on ball defense against guys like Fox or or guys like Mitchell. So. You know, hey, uh, I'm not saying it was all bad. I actually like the floor game. It's just uh, one he had to create, which is a pretty important skill for a guard. Uh, it, it looked both ineffective in terms of his decision making, but also in the product as well. In terms of the third unit guys that came in, I mean, first off, I, I, shouts to Darko for going with Garrett Temple, who I believe is 37 years old in his 14th season. Uh, the vet of all vets, I've been hearing really great things about how much he's been able to help. Um, execute and and sort of be you know that extension on the floor for the coaches in these drills and and in in the practice setting honestly like he's done a great job with that and and i think that's exactly why you bring him a guy like him in and obviously in normal circumstances he's not going to play and he knows that but when it was the fourth quarter and he played the whole fourth quarter it was 37 year old garrett temple who literally earlier this week uh Grady said he's old enough to be my dad and he's literally the dad in the lineup there with four rookies like they they had him playing with uh you know Muhammadu Gay they had him playing with uh Javon Freeman Liberty they had him playing with Marquise Noel and Grady Dick and we're talking about four rookies and a 14 year vet uh so but I mean hey listen like you need somebody on the floor who knows what they're doing at least and uh yeah I mean the only takeaways from that is just obviously Grady was such a huge fan favorite already. I, I think everyone could have foreseen this one coming. Um, you know, obviously he's already shown to be such a lovable personality. Um, you know, dating back to what he did in Kansas or even before that. Uh, obviously, a lot of fans are on TikTok. Obviously, everyone's seen him dancing and the outfits, a draft, you know, day and all that kind of stuff. And you know, he just seems like a personable dude um, to pretty much everybody who sort of watched him. Um, you know, I, you know, he seems to be pretty. Um, open and, and welcoming in terms of the, the the jokes and all that kind of stuff, and yeah, it, it's not it's not too dis. I mean, also, man, everybody loves a, a white baller. Like it just happens. Like it just really is. Like a, there's not one goofy white basketball player in the history of the NBA who hasn't had a lot of love, right? And so, you know, there's that aspect I think too playing into this. But just in general, when he was coming off the bench, first off, before he even came off the bench, the Raptors are up 25. And the Vancouver crowd is chanting, we want Grady, we want Grady, we want Grady, which I appreciate they use Grady instead of the other one. But um, they're chanting this as when Darko finally relents and allows him to get off the bench, just the act of him coming off the bench and coming to the scorer's table, getting ready to check in, was already enough to elicit a huge cheer from the crowd. And then as soon as he came into the game, Grady was aggressive right from the jump. And it was a the exact extension of what he did in, in training camp or in uh in, in summer league, which was hunt for a shot and be involved. And literally on the first play of the game, uh, you know, he, you know, he gets into the game 
and he's crawling off a screen and they're immediately looking for him. He's, he's flying off the screen. Uh, you know, I think the defense was actually there in position. I don't think he's actually creating enough separation. I think for me, um, just watching him play. But again, this is, we're talking about a 19 year old rookie. Uh, and he takes the one dribble inside the arc, draws a little bit of a help rotation, um, just from the opposite wing and he swings it to Gary who knocks down a three right away. Like that's a really good play. And that's something where if you don't cut with full intention, if you don't come in ready to gun, if you're not coming in with the game plan being to involve you in particular, you don't create this kind of chaos. But I appreciated how much he was coming to the game to gun. And the next play down, um, same kind of sequence. He was curling to the mid range. I think Malachi hit him with the pass. And I think they called a double dribble, but I actually, I need to see that play again, the initial replay, but he made the shot. He made the mid-range shot in rhythm, but it was obviously waved off. The next play down, they ran the exact same action, have Grady coming off of a pin down, curling towards from the right side of the floor, curling towards the left, catching the pass. And even though the contest was a lot stronger this time, I think that, I mean, obviously when you run the same play, like the, the defense is going to have a bigger advantage knowing what's coming the next time down. Even though I think it was Sasha Vazenkov who was EuroLeague MVP, um, you know, even though he was right there to contest Grady, again, he didn't create enough separation. But he, even though contested, he still knocked it down. And, you know, yeah, I mean, he's just he was just open and gunning for these threes. He wasn't really... It, the thing is, like, it's, it's a fine line because he was, I would say, honestly, out of everybody who played, probably the most aggressive player on the floor, which is pretty impressive. But that's part of his job. Like... You can't just ask a shooter to come into the game and like never give him the ball and just wait in the corner and then like when that shot comes to him, he needs to knock it down. Like some pros are already really good at doing that, but we're talking about a guy like Grady. Like that's not what made him effective in Kansas. A lot of it was transition play. A lot of it was, um, you know, being aggressive, flying off of these screens and 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 causing that disruption um, on offense. And he has to carry that threat, and you have to empower him to carry that threat by calling the plays for him. And and that's what happened here. Like the, every single time you saw Grady, whether it was scripted or unscripted, does not stand still cutting in and out, you know, curling off the screens with full intention. And whether he's taking that shot or he's taking the one dribble to get into a, a mid range shot, whether that's he's taking that dribble and then making the next pass defense just has to account for him. And, and that alone is creating the, 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 um, the action or the momentum in these kind of plays. And, that's the margin that he's going to have to live by. Like that's what he's going to need to master first and foremost over the course of his NBA career. And he's already got a really good sense of it. You can tell, like, again, he came into the game. He was more aggressive than everybody. That's a skill. Um, but it's the little things in terms of getting stronger in terms of getting quicker in terms of, you know, knowing how to push off. And I, I mean, every shooter, you know, knows how knows a damn good push off. Um, and knows how to use screens and guys need to know how to screen for him to get the open shots and what angles and, and some, I feel like he rushes a little bit too right now. He's trying to compensate to get space by going fast as possible. He's got to know when to go fast, when to go slow, when to go medium. You know, like you got to know, like, <laughs> I'm not gonna make a joke there. I really wanted to make a joke involving his last name, but um, yeah, like he's, he's, that's the area that he's got to master. And I mean, he's a fan favorite. He's going to be encouraged to shoot. You know what I mean? And he finally knocked down a three and then he missed two open ones. It's a bit of a slingshot, honestly, especially from three. Somehow his mid range shot looks a lot more fluid. Like he's shooting more up, but when he's shooting from three, it looks like he's flinging a little bit further. Maybe he's just trying to compensate for the longer shot. But I mean, I think he's clearly, he's got range, but whatever. I'm not here to critique his shot. Obviously he's a great shooter, but um, yeah, I mean, he's just a fan favorite. So the other guys, Hard to say. I mean, Gay had a real or Gay had a really nice driving dunk. 
which was cool. And Marquise, you know, came into the game and guys were just bullying him. It was tough. It was tough. Like watching him on jump balls, watching him on rotations. Like one play, you got switched on to Alex Len. And I swear Alex looked like twice as tall, tall as him. Um, and then, yeah, he, I mean, he got picked on the handle, which was very surprising. I thought, you know, he, he's been a pretty secure point guard um, overall. And obviously when you're 5'7 and you get low to the ground, like there's not even that much time where the ball's between your hand and the ground and back to your hand where the ball can even get swiped. But I did think that like it was, it felt very much like, I, I hate to say this, it gave me like a little lost kid in the mall situation. Like you got to like, you know, I know it's a big adjustment, obviously, even from summer league to preseason is already a big adjustment. And from college to the pros is a big adjustment. Um, but, you know, he just wasn't as confident and steady as I remembered him. Um, and so I know that he's going to bounce back even stronger because that's not his game. That's not typical what he does. But it is a big differential. Like, he's at a physical disadvantage at every single opportunity, whether he's going to the basket, whether he's trying to get a shot up, whether he's trying to get into the lane, whether he's trying to even just get past the guy pressuring the ball. Like, it's going to be a huge jump. And I'm confident in his abilities. The Raptors must be confident, too, because they sign him. But today, there was a lot of opportunities where he was just overwhelmed um, by the physicality of the game and, and sort of the, the size mismatches that were even more accentuated than what they typically would have been in college. But... Um, yeah, I don't want to even end on a negative. It's just a really good performance, I'm, and I'm really looking forward to seeing the next uh, next you know preseason game again. Like you wanted to see some stylistic changes, you actually got to see those, and you saw a lot of positives overall for for Darko's debut. So, just to wrap up the show, your three stars from tonight's uh, game. I'm gonna give the first star to Scotty Barnes. Um, yeah, that sec that sequence at the end of the second quarter was excellent. Um, but 15.7 rebounds, four assists. To me, it's not even the stats um, as much. I think it's mostly just the aggressiveness and the involvement in the game. There was no moments where he floated out of it. Um, obviously, not every single time the ball is coming to him, and that's not how the Raptors are going to play with anybody. Um, and I think there is definitely this, like, you could definitely cement your case for the player when you see a lot of numbers beside him. But I think on the overall, my thing with Scotty was just, like, just be more aggressive and be more involved because, you know, like I I think he's it's just it's almost a bit of a waste of talent when you see it kind of float in and out. You know what I mean? And I thought that he showed great, um, you know, ownership and leadership over the group. I think that's another one of the th- really positive things I'm hearing from training camp was just that, you know, he was you know, he's been taking that step of trying to be a leader of the team, tr- you know, trying to take ownership of situations, you know, speaking up, all that kind of stuff. So that's it's all great to hear. Um, and it just, again, reads like very much like he's been empowered by the whole organization and he's meeting that, uh, that, that opportunity. So, um, this is obviously step one in a very, very long journey, but you know, very, very good step one. Your second star from tonight's game. Um, I'll give it to Gary. I thought Gary played really well off the bench, 22 points, obviously the lead all scorers. Um, but you know, just did a really decent job, you know, operating with the starting units uh, when he was sort of mismatched with those guys. Uh, working out nicely off the bench as well, creating his own offense, all that kind of stuff. He, he did a really good job. I mean, five turnovers is a little strange for Gary. His passing is, I mean, it's never just like crispy or like the like the read is made a little bit late. But again, it's a, it's a completely new thing to him. You know what I mean? But five turnovers and, and zero assists is a hilarious uh, ratio. Uh, but regardless, I, I thought overall he played his role well. And again, if the passing really does come to him, we're talking about a totally different player. We're actually talking about a totally different player because at that point you could maybe talk yourself into like he's, you know, like 
there's that brand of shooting guard where the six man shooting guards, like whether that's like Manu or when James Harden was playing that role or like Lou Williams or Jamal Crawford, like Jordan Clarkson, like these guys, they, they have a playmaking element beyond the fact that they're obviously super aggressive and, and really great shot makers. But they also, because of how aggressive they are, can make things happen with their passing as well. Um, obviously to varying degrees, obviously James and, um, James and, uh, Manu are, are much better passers, for example, than like Lou Williams, who was a decent passer on his own right. Um, Gary, I think is more of a score more than anything else, but if that passing does unlock for him, it does take him to another level, um, as, as, as a six man kind of type. So I thought he did a good job overall, even without that. And then your third star, probably give it to OG. Yeah. For me, it was a toss up between OG and Pascal. I thought both of those guys did a, a good job. I, I like seeing the three point shooting from OG. So I'm going to give it to him. 14 points, three assists, two steals. Um, and again, after forcing that one shot, after not getting the ball for the first six minutes, um, he came, settled in and played really, really well within the balance of the team, which is sort of always, we typically expect that from OG, right? So, you know, that was, that was really nice. Uh, your Gerald Henderson award winner, if I had to pick one, I mean, honestly, probably Keegan Murray. Like, I, I mean, he was very aggressive with the shot. I mean, um, I, there's not that much else that he does. Like, I, I feel like he, there's more defensively I need to see out of him. I think that, um, I honestly, there's a bit of a physicality piece missing. Like, where was he on the glass, for example, for a guy who's 6'8", 6'9", maybe even 6'10". Like, he didn't really feel like he was an impact on the glass. Um, but his aggressiveness with the scoring is, is, is pretty good. And um, obviously, that's something that he was able to showcase as a rookie as well. He's one of the all-rookie teams. And uh, yeah, he was, he was lighting it up today, 11 points in 16 minutes. Um, but I mean, it remains to be seen for me. Like, is, is it like a, you know what I mean? Like there's been players kind of like it, like Kuzma, for example, similar to this, where it's like the big wings and like has a bit of a physicality in terms of offensively, in terms of scoring in the paint. And, um, also obviously can really knock it down from three and, and, and get into a good rhythm. I think maybe Keegan's even a better, well, not maybe, I think he is a better shooter than, 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 uh, than Kuzma, but there's something missing <laughs> in terms of just like, I, I do want to see sort of the rest of your game round out. Um, but for a young player, I think it's promising that he can score really well already. So uh, that was, that's your Gerald Henderson or winner. And uh, yeah, this podcast has already gone way too long. So thanks everyone for listening. Please continue to rate, review, subscribe. We'll have more episodes coming out for the rest of preseason. And of course, uh, October 16th, we are going to relaunch the Raptor show Monday to Friday from in a new time slot between 2 to 4 p.m. You can listen live on uh, Sportsnet 590 The Fan across the country. You can listen to it in your cars. You can listen on radio. You can listen to it on, on the website. Uh, and of course, you can also watch us on Sportsnet Plus uh, in our you know, actually, I can't I can't totally say what the new looks are going to be, but there's a definitely new look to the show this year. And of course, we have Blake Murphy joining us uh, full time as another co-host alongside myself and Alex Wong. So tune into that. That will be, we'll be back Monday to Friday from 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern uh, on October 16th onwards. Uh, but even before then, we'll have lots of pods like we've already been doing all offseason. So thanks everyone for listening. Again, this is a ridiculously long, uh, you know, react pod for game one of the preseason but i do think there's a lot of changes and i I felt really good watching the game so hopefully the rest of it looks like this and uh you know we can have a a really nice time but um yeah for now rate review subscribe to the show and uh we'll catch you after well we'll just we'll catch you next week all right happy thanksgiving everyone who celebrates